Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sweat the Technique. This is Robbie Gupta, and this is a podcast all about how to get better, faster. And today we're talking about how to get stronger. And we have a fascinating guest, Alyssa Aegis, who just wrote a beautiful book called Secrets of Giants, A Journey to Uncover the True Meaning of Strength. Alyssa is a Toronto-based, New York-born author and writer and copywriter. And this is her debut book, which just came out on September 12th. And her work has appeared all over the place from Wired to Men's Journal, etc. And this book is kind of a journey. And I, I think when you think about a book about lifting weights, getting stronger, you think of like a meathead who's talking about getting getting those delts and, and getting the ladies, you know, tries for the guys, you know, curls for the girls or whatever. But Alyssa is a very different type of personality. Alyssa, before I go on here, because I love this subject, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, okay. You talk about lifting and you immediately make clear here, this is not about getting the abs or anything like that. This is really about a journey of self-discovery and confidence and kind of finding yourself. Talk a little bit about what made you even walk through the doors in the first place to start doing strong men, strong women type of lifting competitions. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I was not an athletic kid. I did play a little bit of Little League and I had this very strong memory of never hitting the ball in baseball, just ever. And I kind of told myself this story for most of my life that I was just not athletic. It was not something that I innately could do. I was not a you know capable kid. And when I was in my early 20s, I had to do this corporate softball game. And I didn't want to go up to bat. I went up to bat. I hit the ball. I rushed off the field and called my mom and told her, you know, oh my gosh, like I finally hit the ball. And she kind of paused and said, well, it's not that you swung and never hit the ball when you were playing baseball. It's that you never even swung the bat. And that kind of set me off on this journey of wanting to swing at everything, realizing that, you know, I wasn't just inherently bad at sports. I just never gave myself a chance to try so I went into running marathons. I, I basically decided I'm going to the like most extreme end of whatever I can do. So I went right into doing marathons. I went right from marathons to triathlons. And when I finished the Ironman, I decided I needed to now do something else. And I started doing CrossFit. CrossFit led me to that first day that I walked into a strongman gym. And uh, for people who aren't familiar, what is CrossFit? What is a strongman gym? How are they different? So CrossFit is... There are a lot of different implements, but it is in large part barbells, some kettlebells and cardio work. The idea is constantly varied movements and kind of functional fitness. You're typically doing, the whole class is doing the same workout that could be anywhere from five minutes to 20 minutes. And it's usually a mix of cardio and lifting. Strongman is all about kind of odd objects. And it is more or less picking up an odd heavy object and either putting it back down, throwing it, carrying it, or standing there with it for a while. And it's seems like you had a positive experience in both. I think starting with CrossFit, because I think so much of your book is about the strong men kind of community and your experience there. But in the beginning, you talk a little bit about the positive experience you even had at CrossFit, which there's this sort of thrill of the wad, like the workout of the day. Because as you described, there's this short workout that happens in a CrossFit gym, but there's also 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes of kind of building your way up to heavier lifts in some cases. And you talk about like one of the greatest feelings in athletics is doing your one rep max, you know? And so you did have a positive experience of CrossFit. Oh, I loved CrossFit. I still love CrossFit. I don't do it now because I just have a training program for strongman, but I think the world of CrossFit, I think it is a really, really great way for people to get into strength training. If you go into a good CrossFit gym, 
they're going to train you properly for all the lifts before they even let you touch anything heavier than a PVC pipe. So I really think it's wonderful. And I also think there's the community aspect of it. So for me with Strongman, I'm either training in my garage or I'm training in my local gym with my trainer, but I don't really have a Strongman community out here. And with CrossFit, you go in and you're kind of immediately accepted into this group of people where you know, you're all just trying to do the same thing, which is see what your limits are and how close you can push to them. Yeah. And, you know, I think you do a really good job of describing the culture of a lot of these places, CrossFit, Strongmen, et cetera, where the, the stereotype is that people are grunting and yelling and are intimidating and all that. And sure, some of that happens, but you describe how like when there's a workout and somebody finishes early, they go to the, somebody next to them and cheer them on. Or like your first time you walked through the Strongmen gym, you were you know, picking up some kind of odd object and struggling with it. And you thought people would laugh at you, but that wasn't your experience. Yeah, exactly. I think in, in all of the strength sports, like I have not come into a strength sport where I didn't find that level of support. I think in CrossFit, what's so special about it is that everyone stays at the end of the workout. If you finish before someone else, you stay and you cheer them on and you give them that support. And that's really meaningful. I think we are, you know, we're, we are hardwired to be working together to do difficult things. And CrossFit really speaks to that. And then with Strongman, it's a lot about seeing what the human body can do. And even if it's not your human body that can do the task that is in front of you, you want to see someone else do it. So I've seen people give their fiercest competitor the belt off of their waist just because they don't want to beat them on a technicality. They want them to do the best that they possibly can. Taking a step back, you wrote this book in part because you wanted to, you call it a part personal narrative, part research mission, part reckless life, midlife crisis odyssey. Uh, let's talk about that crisis because you're quite honest early on in this book about a tragedy that happened in your life and how that affected your pursuit of strength in the first place. Yeah. So I had started doing Strongman in 2014 and it was 2016. Uh, we had moved to Toronto. I was training for a competition and I was lifting an Atlas stone. And I remember when I picked it up and put it over the bar, I had this like sudden feeling of exhaustion that was very different from the exhaustion that I typically feel from just being tired from a workout. And when I went home that day, I just kind of had a hunch. I took a pregnancy test. I found out I was pregnant. And three weeks later, I found out I was miscarrying. And it took me from feeling like the strongest I'd ever been in my life to suddenly feeling weak and vulnerable and just broken. And during that time, I tried a lot of different things to just kind of see how I could feel better, how I could just kind of bring myself back to life. I ran and running helped in the moment, but less so afterwards. But lifting, when I would go back and I would go meet my coach at the gym, when I would leave that workout with him, I just found that I was walking taller. I had my shoulders pulled back. I just I felt stronger. You know, I wasn't hitting any PRs, but I could just feel the strength in my body again. And it set me off on this kind of quest to try and understand maybe strength isn't actually about how much we can lift. Maybe it's about how we use the things that we learn in the gym to manage the struggles that we deal with outside of the gym. Yeah, you have this funny anecdote where you're sitting at home with your daughters and you tell them this story of this guy, I think it's Zisha, is Breibart? Zisha, yeah. Zisha Breibart is an early 1900s strong man who'd like bend metal rods and, you know, pull like incredible amounts of weight with his teeth down the street or whatever. And your daughters asked you not just like how he was able to lift the way he lifted, but why he even did it in the first place. And so why does it matter? Like, like forgetting like, 
like the competitions and all that, like why pursue strength? I mean, that's kind of the whole crux of what I discovered through this book, but really it permeates every aspect of our lives outside of the gym. It can help manage anxiety and symptoms of depression. It can change the way that we view our bodies. I think a lot of us, at least women, grow up hearing that bulky is a bad thing. We don't want to put on too much mass. And in the world of strength training, the more mass, the more muscle you can put on, the better. Bulky is a, is a good thing. It teaches us the power of community. It teaches us to look at things that feel out of the realm of possibility and not see them as impossible, but see them as something where I know that if I just work hard enough for this, I can achieve it. So if I'm in the gym and I really want to get a 300 pound deadlift, which was something I really wanted to do, you know, I knew that I couldn't just go pick it up, but it also, I knew that it wasn't impossible. And I knew that every time I went in, if I just worked a little bit more and added a little bit more weight and a little bit more weight, that would become something I could do. And I've used that outside the gym in so many different ways. So, you know, the ability to look at something and say, I think I can do that also translates to your ability to look at a job posting and say, I think I could get that. Even for me writing this book, I had to approach it in the same way. A lot of it was quite literally throwing post-it notes at the wall to see what would stick. And when it didn't work, not kind of going, oh my God, I can't do this, but rearranging things and seeing, well, if it didn't work that way, maybe it'll work this way. And knowing that at some point I would get it to where it needed to be. Yeah. And so there's, there's like the physical and the mental, right? And they're kind of related, obviously, because your brain is an organ of the body. Obviously it's not disconnected in some way. And so let's quickly dispatch with the physical side of things. You talked about like women in particular, you know, are often like excluded from the conversation or intimidated by the conversation around strength. That's obviously changing rapidly. Like I see it everywhere. You know, one of the reasons why I lift and have lifted for a long time, but have been particularly focused on it lately is sarcopenia, right? Which is age-related muscle loss. And, you know, the numbers vary depending on what you look at, but on average, people are losing somewhere from three to 8% uh, muscle mass per decade after the age of 30. And this accelerates over time. And this becomes a huge risk factor in both longevity, but also health span, right? Like breaking your hip, or becoming immobile or not being able to walk up hills or stairs, et cetera, dramatically affects the quality of your life and the length of your life as you go on. And so I just want to start there and say like the physical, non-mental reasons to lift are, are pretty significant, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, I'm 42. So something that is of importance to me is how we're now learning the ways that strength training can impact us in menopause and kind of ease some of the symptoms of menopause. When I was a runner, I would often get stress fractures and through a test found out that I had low bone density. Strength training is what increases your bone density. So there's a lot of it for me that is also just about kind of preventative just making sure that I can do the things I want to do with my kids until I'm much older. Yeah. Peter Atia famously talks about how like when he's doing his kind of health assessment and goals assessment, which is really important to have like pretty clear goals. He kind of talks to people about like, all right, do you have kids? Do you want to be able to pick them up? Do you want to be able to play soccer with them and hit the ball or like, you know, walk freely at their graduation or their kids graduation? You know, so he kind of makes it practical, right? Okay. So shifting gears, you talk about the mental side a lot in this book. And one thing you point out is there's a ton of evidence for exercise and exercises benefit for your mental health. And there's limited evidence on strength specifically, but you do discuss the evidence we do have available. What do we know right now about strength and mental health? Yeah, we are more and more learning that 
resistance training. And that can be, and I want to be clear, that doesn't have to be heavy lifting. And some of it doesn't have to really be lifting at all. A lot of it was done with body weight. But we know that resistance exercise training can impact our levels of anxiety and depressive symptoms. And there was a really fascinating study done in 2020 that I talk about in the book. And I ended up interviewing one of the leads of the study. But basically, they put people through an eight-week training program. And these were people who didn't have any anxiety disorders and were also not regular weightlifters. So they kind of taught them the movements, they worked alongside a coach, they were in a gym, and they set goals for themselves. What did they want to hit as far as weights and number of repetitions over the course of that eight weeks? And they gave them these anxiety questionnaires at the beginning and then at regular intervals throughout. And what they found was that at the end of the study, the, the resistance training group versus the control group showed a marked decrease in symptoms of anxiety. Now, what they didn't delve into was why is that? So we don't really know the reasons. But in my interview with one of the leads of the study, he did hypothesize that some of that might be about kind of the mastery of learning a new skill like that, right? It's that you get this sense that I can succeed here and therefore I can succeed somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think that's such an underrated part of adult life. You know, people who are longtime listeners to this podcast will know I talk about this. I pick one thing I do every year, like a new hobby. And I generally stick with them after that year. But I love the feeling of going from beginner to intermediate in something new because every day you feel like you're making some sense of progress. And as you talk about in weightlifting, which was actually the first year, powerlifting was my focus that year. You know, in powerlifting, if you're somebody who's listened to this and, and don't really have experience with it, you'd think that you're the toughest sell, but actually you should be the easiest sell because that first year is the best year, in my opinion. Like when you first learn the lifts, especially like there's only a few of them that really matter. And actually in the study that you talk about, they basically isolate those lifts, in my opinion. Like, like yes, strongman uses odd implements or whatever, but the basic movements of of the way you, like your body works is like simple kind of push-pull motions, deadlift, squat, overhead press, bench press, like, you know, lunges. Like these are the types of things. You put a couple of these things together and yes, like you could be in different situations but and use different implements. But by and large, once you know how to safely lift heavy weights with those different types of mechanisms, you could apply it in a lot of different settings. And it's really fun learning those lifts and, and going from the point where like every week you're adding on weight and that you can go a few years where you're hitting PRs pretty regularly, which is such a thrill. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about the mental side of it too. Something that I think is really important to touch on is what we know about the way that weightlifting in particular can help people heal from traumatic experiences as well. So you know, we, we understand that when you go through something traumatic, one of the things that happens is you tend to sort of disconnect from your body. But to lift something heavy, you have to be embodied. You have to understand what is happening inside your body. You have to understand how your body can help you. And one of the most powerful things I learned in researching this book was that one of the reasons why weightlifting helped me so much following the miscarriage was that let's say I'm going in to do a heavy deadlift, right? And I have my weight belt on. In order to go for that deadlift and make sure that my back is safe, I have to brace my core. So I have to breathe out and I have to feel my abdomen push against my belt. I have to believe in that moment in order to lift the bar that this place on my body that was a place of trauma and a place of sadness and a place of pain can also be a place of strength. And that is, I think, one of the most powerful takeaways I had. And again, it doesn't have to be a heavy deadlift, right? It can be it can be any way that you are connecting with your body through strength because it does allow you to sort of go into the moment and then step away from it. And it gives people who've gone through trauma a chance to approach it in a way that feels safe for them. Yeah. And you have this fascinating part of your book where you talk about 
the relationship between adrenaline, trauma, the sort of fight or flight, you know, what you call hysterical strength or Eddie Hall, like, I don't know who uses that term, but the sense that actually your mental state while you're lifting, you can kind of manipulate yourself to heavier lifts. Talk a little bit about that. I found this fascinating because the heaviest I ever lifted was in a powerlifting competition. And I, I hadn't, I, I've lately, it was a year ago or coming on a year, I'm about to do the, the, the same one this year. And as I've been building back up to it, I hadn't until very recently been able to recreate anything close to that weight outside of the competition setting and reading your book, it doesn't sound like that's a situation unique to me. Yeah. So hysterical strength, I find it just absolutely fascinating, right? So just to give the kind of basic description of it, it is when we hear the stories of like a mom lifting a car off of her kid pinned under it, right? Or a kid lifting something off of a parent that's pinned under something heavy. So it's this moment where our body takes, uses all of its faculties and puts them towards just our ability to use our strength. So it shuts everything else down and it allows us to access 100% of our strength, which is really interesting because we can't do that in any other scenario, right? A trained lifter can access maybe 70% of their maximum strength in a competition setting, right? But we can't do that just walking through life in general. So, so how does that work? And is that something that we can recreate in a competition setting and use it for ourselves? There haven't been studies on it because it's really, really difficult to put someone in that situation on purpose when they kind of know that that's what you're doing. The closest we've come to that is this study from the 1960s, which is just like, you really have to question the judgment of the people who were running the study and whether it was okay. Yeah, explain this study. This is this is fascinating. Yeah. So it was they were using um like a, a bicep curl with a cable and they wanted to see how they could increase the output of strength. And they did some things that were fine. They yelled in the ear of the person to kind of scare them. But then they also fired a, a rifle next to their ears. They injected them with, it was adrenaline. And there was something else they gave them, which is now escaping me. But, you know, a bunch of things that were just like not the best decisions, but it was the 60s. We made some questionable choices then. But they did find that sometimes the suggestion of strength or the suggestion of fear could actually increase the strength in the participants. With Eddie Hall, he basically heard about hysterical strength and decided, I want to see if I can be the guinea pig, if I, if I can use that in the competition. He said he was going to pull a thousand pound deadlift, could not pull anything close to it in the gym, was really struggling with it and ended up working with a hypnotist who helped him envision a hysterical strength situation, helped him envision a scenario in which he wasn't lifting a barbell off the ground, but he was lifting someone off of his family. And when he talks about it in this, this YouTube video behind the scenes, you can see him almost kind of go back into that hypnotic state. It's really fascinating to watch his eyes through that. And then he talks about the moment that he pulled that lift and he was just not in his own body. He finally kind of comes to when he's standing there with a thousand pounds in his hand. The flip side of hysterical strength is because there's all those pain deadening chemicals flooding your brain, you don't feel the pain in that moment, right? So some of the stories with people who've had hysterical strength is that they broke all their teeth. They just didn't notice it at the moment. You know, they pulled a bunch of muscles in their body. They strained things. For Eddie Hall, he was basically dead afterwards. <laughs> like He had like blood going through his eyes. I mean, it's this nasty story. Eyes, his nose, his ears. Yeah. You got to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking back to, yeah, this competition I did last year and I'm like, because I was in the gym trying to replicate it shortly after that. And I was like, what's wrong with me? You know? 
And I look back and I'm like, man, like, you got to be careful with this. But like, I don't want to scare people. Like you stay within reasonable bounds, you'll be fine. I think that's the thing about strength is like, it has this reputation as this injury inducing sport. And look, every sport brings its risks. But I was listening to, and I know this is not about whether kids should lift or not, but you know, I'd be interested in your opinion on this. I heard, I was listening to an exercise scientist. It might've been on Rhonda Patrick's podcast. I can't remember. And was asked about, you know, at what age people should lift. And essentially what he was saying was as early as you think they can do it and learn the lifts. Cause he was basically saying that like this, there's all these myths out there that stunts growth or this and that. And he was like, none of that's true. And he was also like, we let kids play soccer. We let them play they, where they could break bones or whatever. It's like breaking a bone is one of the worst things you could do for your growth or your trajectory and your health as a kid where you'd have to be doing something quite crazy to, to break a bone in the gym and actually like de- developing the ability to safely lift early, I think actually prevents some injuries as time goes on. Because once you get that form down, I find that it helps with other things, like other sports that I'm in, like, sur- you know, surfing is my main sport outside of lifting and having a strong core and lower body stability means that like when I'm, getting kind of whipped around in waves or whatever. I just, I'm not kind of like flailing around like I could. And I feel like that probably could be true of a lot of sports. Yeah. I think there's also the bodily awareness, right? Just understanding where your body is in space and how to move it. So my daughters, one of the things that I do with them in the gym in our little garage gym is I'm teaching them to do kind of your, your main few barbell lifts, but with a broomstick. They may never want to lift weights, but I am setting them up that if they ever do, they have the right form. They're going to have that muscle memory. I also think it's just really empowering. One of my favorite moments is being in the gym with my five and a half year old daughter. And I had been lifting Atlas stones. So I've been picking up this big giant rock and putting it on my shoulder. And she found this five pound med ball and picked it up and put it on her shoulder. And was just so proud of herself about it. And, you know, I don't remember doing things that gave me that feeling of accomplishment at that age. And I'm, I'm just so excited that I can give that to her. I don't really know the latest studies and information in terms of whether or not, you know, how much to have your kids lift and what's safe and what's not. But we do know that this idea that you can't have kids pick up anything heavy because, you know, they're going to stunt their growth is ridiculous. They pick up heavy toys and things all the time. You're not putting much more weight than that in their hands. You're just teaching them to move carefully and safely. Yeah. And, you know, check out that science. I'm kind of freelancing on that, everybody. But let's talk about your personal journey more here. So you you walk into this gym and you start lifting weird things. Set it for us here. Like explain what goes on in a strong man gym. Yeah. So the first day that I went into the strong man gym, I had no idea what to expect. I'd come from CrossFit and I enter this office building in midtown Manhattan. And I go up this, you know, I'm in, walking through this marble hallway and I go up in this very like normal nondescript elevator and the door opens and I just hear the sound of death metal and it just kind of wafts into the elevator. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think I want to do this. And I'm looking at it and it's coming from behind this huge metal door that has this sort of eight and a half by 11 printed sign on the front saying global strongman gym. And I walked in and I am the only one there except for the owner of the gym who is six and a half feet tall and just built like an absolute giant whose name is Hans, which of course. And then I look to my right and there's another 
also huge guy sitting on this massage table, like methodically consuming a container of hard boiled eggs, another container of spinach and a gallon of water. And this is my introduction into strongman. So it couldn't be, you know, it's just, it's gritty. There's just no, you know, it, it's in the height of the boutique fitness boom in New York and there's no fancy amenities. There's no towel service. There's no nothing. It's just piles and piles of equipment that I have never seen before that look terrifying. There's stacks of kegs that are very clearly not full of beer. There are sandbags. There's a big sea of these concrete stones. It was super, super intimidating the first time. And so you start off and you're given some weird object to lift and you struggle through it. You finally get it up. People cheer you on. And what's the journey in a strongman? CrossFit is kind of like every class is for everybody and people, they find a way to access it on their own. You know, what we call modifications, right? So you may put less weight in, you may not do like a muscle up, pull up, you may do regular pull up, or you might do a banded pull up, or you may use rings or something. So there's like a access point for everybody and there's a cadence to a class. What's the cadence to a strongman class? Yeah, so some some strongman gyms will have classes and some you're just kind of going and working out with a trainer. With this one, it was basically we were all set up with the same equipment, but at different weights. So the first time I'm pressing a, a log overhead, a strongman log, I'm not pressing the 80 pound one, I'm pressing the 60 pound one. So, you know, I'm, I'm coming in and in fairness, I'm also coming in with some strength, right? So I'm not just walking in off the street, having never put anything over my head. That said, I do think that the sport of strongman isn't just for people who have a base of strength because there are so many elements of the sport that are just using found objects. So, you know, you go outside, you pick up a rock, you put it over your head, like, congratulations, you've done a strongman event. It doesn't have to be a hundred pound rock that you're putting over your head. You pick up, you know, a tree trunk, you do farm work, you're doing strongman. There's a lot of kind of manual labor components to it. Have you been in any real life situations where you're like, oh, I get to put this to, to rest. Like your friend is trapped under a yes. tree or something. <laughs> yes, actually, my, my husband's always telling me to share this story. So we were moving out of our New York City apartment and we both brought boxes out from the apartment down to the street where the truck was using like a dolly. And we had these heavy boxes of books. And I was suddenly standing out there with this very heavy box of books by my feet. And the truck bed is at about shoulder height. And I'm just going, I can lift this from the ground. I am strong enough, but how am I getting it up to this height? And I stared at it for a minute and then I went, oh, this is just like Atlas stone or sandbag or keg loading. I know how to do this. And I got my hands under it and I pulled it into my lap and I bear hugged it. And I kind of did triple extension, like leaning my whole body back. And then I shoved it onto the truck bed. And I was like, that's why we do this. And then once I got it onto the truck bed, I needed to get into the back of the truck. And I was like, well, that's a prowler push. And I just, you know, used my glutes and my hamstrings and I shoved it to the other side. That's amazing. You should start a moving company. <laughs> How long did it take to start to enter your first competition? I entered really quickly. One of the things that you get, and I don't, I don't think this is, you know, people being pushed to do it, but one of the things you get convinced to do pretty early is you want to see what you can do, right? And you're trying something out, sure. And maybe you don't have the ability to hit the weights in a competition, but people show up at this novice level at competitions all the time and they, maybe they make nothing. Maybe they make none of their lifts, but they're going there just to see what they're capable of. So I, it was a couple months and I did get a couple of my lifts and I missed a bunch of them, but then I, I knew where to go from there. You know, I experienced that bit of failure, but then I knew, okay, well now I know how to make a path to succeed next time. And how many competitions now in Strongman have you done? Oh gosh. Uh, somewhere between like eight and 10, I think at this point. And so, yeah, give us a sense of how you've done. You know, I come in last in almost all of them and I have no problem saying that. I did. I used to. At the very beginning of my strongman career, 
that really stunk for me. And for a while I stopped competing because I was competing against the same group of girls who were just, I had a sense were going to beat me every time. And it felt to me like if I was going there and I knew I was going to lose before I got there that I just shouldn't go. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, well, no, the point is just to go and see, can I do better than I did last time? And so I show up for things now where I know I'm not going to hit some of those lifts. I qualified for nationals on a technicality because I was the only person in my weight class to go to an amateur competition. And I almost didn't go because I felt like I didn't earn it. And it was my coach who said, well, no, you go, let's see what you can do. You're going to get out on that stage. How cool is it just to get out there? And I apply that to so much of the rest of my life now, even like, you know, just promoting this book or doing my freelance journalism work. I'm reaching out to publications that I have a a strong sense are absolutely going to either say no or just never respond to me. But I don't know that for sure until I try it. Yeah, you're you're kind of like you were the Jamaican bobsled team of that the competition. <laughs> you know, you you mentioned something really important which is your your self-belief. You talk about in this book like the importance of what you call or somebody calls total focus and total confidence and there's almost like this placebo effect of lifting that you have to get yourself into the state where your self-belief dictates so much about whether you're going to succeed or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's something I talk to my daughters about all the time. You know, we have a saying in our house, which is we don't say I can't, we say I'll try. Sometimes, you know, they'll say I can't. And I will just look at them and say, do we say that? Go, no. What do we say instead? Okay, I'll try. (laughs) And I, I mean, I hope that they take that through life with them because you don't know what you're capable of until you try. And the other thing that I say also all the time is there's nothing that is impossible or out of the realm of possibility for you. It's just something that you haven't been able to do yet. And that's something that you learn through lifting, right? Every time you go into the gym, you make these little incremental gains where you put another pound, two pounds, whatever that is on the bar. And you're learning that, yeah, it's going to take a long time to get where you want to go. But if you just keep at it and you keep working towards it, Some days you're going to have setbacks. Some days you're going to do better than you thought you were going to do. But eventually you're going to get to the point that you want to reach. Yeah. So let's make it tangible here as we kind of round the bend. So for people who are listening, and we're particularly interested in people who haven't, we could kind of tackle two populations, a group that really aren't comfortable yet in strength. And then we'll talk about the people who are kind of there and like what advice to them is. So like if you're somebody who hasn't really been CrossFit, you haven't done powerlifting or anything like that, maybe you go to the gym, you lift dumbbells here and there. Let's start with sort of, The case to that person to maybe step it up a notch. What do you have to say to that person? Yeah, I think, you know, it's easy to sit in our comfort zone. It's easy to do the things that we know we can handle. I used to just try as much as humanly possible to avoid workouts that involved overhead pressing because I just hated putting anything over my head. It was so scary. And one of the conscious decisions I made this year with my trainer is to lean into that and put more overhead stuff into my program because I'm never going to feel better about that. And I'm always going to kind of feel like "Ah, I'm just avoiding this thing if I don't do it. So I think if you are able and it's safe for you, push a little further. And I'm not talking about, you know, shooting for a deadlift that is a hundred pounds over what you're doing now. I'm talking about a couple pounds more on something. If you're just using dumbbells in a group fitness class, next time you go into the class, instead of picking up the five pound dumbbells, try the tens. Maybe you have to drop a few reps. Like maybe it doesn't go as well as you want it to, but I think you feel really, really incredible afterwards that you tried and you know, hey, I didn't think I could do that for even one. And today I did it for, you know, three. Maybe tomorrow I'll do it for five. Yeah, I totally agree. 
And I think for for people out there, like my my advice is if you aren't like super proficient in lifting yet, you know, find somebody in often a really good CrossFit gym will offer this or, you know, a lot of gyms you can get them and you go to them and say, all right, I want to learn the proper deadlift technique. And often a hex bar is a really good option there, just a safer option. I, you know, as, as you go on and you're doing competitions or something, you have to use a regular bar, but, you know, pick a, pick a few lifts, deadlift, squat, bench press, shoulder press, maybe a couple other things, but by and large, those are good ones. Learn the proper technique, set a one rep max with somebody who knows what they're doing, and then keep a document for the rest of your life. And continually hit those maybe twice a week, ideally once a week, if you don't have a lot of time and just continually try to increase that one rep and then also have like a a kind of weight that you keep at your volume goal, right? Like, all right, something that maybe you start off at four and then four becomes six and then four becomes 12 and then it becomes 15 and then you pick a new weight to do that goal. So keep those two numbers for each lift and just keep that document running for the rest of your life and you'll be shocked how long into your life you can continue to add muscle as most people are undergoing sarcopenia. You know, as Peter Atia said, you know, he's never met somebody who was in their older ages who said they had too much muscle mass, you know, like it's just not a thing that people who are really old deal with. Right. And listen, we have studies now to show that as we age, having physical strength and doing some form of resistance exercise training can reduce all different causes of mortality. There was a study that showed that just 60 minutes of resistance training a week could do that. Yeah, That's not a lot when you think about the number of hours that you have in your day. And I think, okay, so on the serious person side, my advice is quick and I want to hear yours. It's like, just pick an ambitious goal. That's what I was reading your book. It's like, you're so good at being like, I'm going to enter this competition. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, this is you like swinging for the fences. It's like, pick something bold and wild. I want to win this competition. I want to you know, like whatever it is, like I want to deadlift 500 pounds or whatever, like set something, if you're ready, serious, set something like that's tangible and a little bit crazy as a way to motivate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And pick something where you also know that for the first whole bunch of times you do it, you're going to fail because you learn so much more from failing than you do from succeeding. That is for sure. Well, okay. Alyssa, congratulations on a great book. Everybody go out there and get Secrets of Giants, a journey to uncover the true meaning of strength wherever you get your books. It is out now. Good luck on the book tour. Thank you so much. Sweat the Technique is a production of the Branch Media Podcast Network. You could follow all of the Branch's podcasts at at the Branch Media on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you could check out our website at thebranchmedia.org. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and subscribe to the show so that you can join us every Wednesday for more Sweat the Technique.